Uh, this morning, I'm going to be spending uh, most of the time in uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 50, which Pastor Sam, uh, Pastor Dan read for us, sorry. Um, and then we'll be concluding with really a lot of scriptures, but ultimately focusing on Second Chronicles, chapter 7, which I think has been a, a common scripture that's been thrown around quite a bit, uh, considering our time that we've had uh, and everything that's been going on around us. So <clears throat> in preparation for my message uh, for tonight, um, the Lord really took me back to lots of reading uh, in history that I've done throughout my life, um, specifically historical reading um, in my seminary courses, uh, church history to be exact. And as I continue to think through the process of where our country is today, it's really hard to believe, number one, that history has repeated itself multiple times, but yet here we are, at least for me, it seems like the Lord is closer than he's ever been before. Some of you might agree with me, some of you might not, um, but at the end of the day, uh, our hope is in the Lord as we wait upon the Lord. And so, um, let me allow me just to rant a little bit, just some of my thoughts, and then we'll jump into the Word. As we continue to watch what seems to be the spiraling down of our country, the devastation and the frustration within the body of Christ continues to grow. As people continue to both helplessly and hopelessly watch the political agendas pull and tug, both to the left and to the right, the rift continues to shake and rattle whoever is watching, whoever is listening, whoever gets caught in the middle, and whomever gets in the way. These rifts cause uncertainty, insecurity, and fear of the future outcomes and the direction of where we are headed as a nation. As we watch and hear of riots and crime continuing to grow, it seems as if we are all out of solutions. During a time in which honest and trustworthy answers are laborious to find, we can all agree that there are certain responses in which we, as the body of Christ, can give that are merely not as effective, nor are they helpful. No, we don't need another Facebook post stating our political opinions and perspectives of our current situations. No, we don't need a tweet on Twitter or any other rant on any other social media platform. No, we don't need to respond both to situations and to people in the same manner that everyone else seems to be responding. As the body of Christ, we are called to a higher calling. We must remember that godly people should respond in a godly way, which should be scriptural. We must also remember that ungodly people respond in an ungodly way, which is not, not scriptural. Jesus, our Lord, made it very clear. You will know them by their fruit, Matthew 7:15 through 20. Lastly, we don't need anyone else posting or quoting 2 Chronicles 7:14 in hopes, right? And this is my own personal conviction, 
that the people reading within their social media influence will magically be touched, moved or changed overnight. We cannot expect that people whom don't know God would change in such a, such a manner. Let us remember of our own spiritual process under the Lord. If they don't know our Lord, then they don't have the Holy Spirit residing within them. Therefore, because of the Spirit not being present, they don't know how to repent. At this point, I know what some of you are probably thinking. Let me reassure you, I'm not taking away from the Word of God. No, we are not negating, nor are we minimizing the power of God. Yes, He can change whomever He wants at the reading of His Word. We must admit that at some point, we must take responsibility in the application of the Word of God. There is no better time than now. Let us be reminded also that although the Word of God is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both, both joints and the marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, we are still the living and active physical hands and feet of Jesus. We cannot and must not hide behind a post of scripture. America has done that for too long now. We carry the helper, the Holy Spirit of our Lord, who helps us to be a reflection of our Savior. We should be the scripture in life form as challenges become relevant. Prevalent. Lastly, let us also bring to remembrance that the change to a country starts with you and with me. The body of Christ, his believers, but more importantly, his followers. Tonight, we will evaluate and determine through the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of his word on how we, as the body of Christ, can become more effective in a time such as this. The practical way of Scripture is always the best. We must be honest, and we must admit that it is the only way in which we can go about changing anything around us. It's by first changing ourselves through the power of His Spirit, His Word and prayer. Then we will influence others in the process, being a witness for His name's sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for giving us another opportunity where we can come and worship you. Lord, and as we live in a time of uncertainty, I know many of us here within our gathering today have had these thoughts. We've wrestled with these feelings, Father, thinking and wondering what our role looks like as we head into challenging times, Father God. As history repeats itself, we know that your body, your people, your followers, your believers have been through this before. And Father, they have leaned on you, your spirit and your word. I pray that tonight as we move forward and are here gathered under your name and under your spirit, that you would open our minds and our hearts. Father, I pray that you would speak not only through me, but to me. In our lesson, and I pray that tonight would bring hope to our body, both physically and spiritually, and that we would gain some direction, Father, 
as to what our role looks like. And if anything, Father, I pray that we would be rejuvenated in your spirit. Father, give us wisdom and discernment as we know that without you, we have none of that. We love you, Father. We praise you and we entrust this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question that we have to ask ourselves um, as we consider the biblical context that we'll be looking at tonight in the scripture is how do we get here? That's a common question, I think, I think among the body of believers, the church, as a nation, in our country, even locally. I know that a lot of the discussions and the counseling meetings that I had this last week, uh, you'd be amazed. 90% of them took place. Uh, in the topic and the subject matter in which we're talking about tonight. Um, I was planning on speaking and teaching the same sermon that I taught last Sunday, and uh, I thought to myself, no, I think the Lord wants me to really go deep into this because we, we need that. And so how did we get here is the question. Well, there's three major historical shifts that I'm going to point out tonight that have really taken our country for the worse. You might agree with me. Uh, We might have some historical um, people here who love history. And for me personally, these are things that uh, in my reading and and through revelation that God has given me, I've I've seen that God has used these things to really take us away from the original uh, planning of our country, right? When you consider the Puritans, the separatists, they wanted a place where they could come and freely worship. And everything was intended for the Lord. But now here we are. How did we get here? I would first like to point out the shift of Harvard University. As we know, Harvard, even today, is a highly influential institution, right? As it educates people from all over the world. People come in, they get their education whatever they want to study in, right? We know that it's hard to get accepted into it because it's an Ivy League school. But let me point something out to you. Harvard was a seminary. It was a Bible college, right? And in an article that was written by an author named Anna K. Kendrick, the title of the article is Harvard's Secularization, written in March 8, 2006. It was put out by the Crimson.com. She mentions of the shift that took place at Harvard. It went from a Puritist standpoint to that of Unitarianism. So what exactly is Unitarianism? Well, I'll cover that here in a bit. But in this article, she makes a transition through historical time as to how this shift took place. She starts first with the change of the university's crimson shield, which it originally had during its birth in 1636. The banner read in such a way, Veritas pro Cristo et Ecclesia, which means truth for Christ and church. Now it's simply Veritas, truth. Right? This college was established by the Puritans to train and to deploy pastoral leaders. The idea of separation of God from academia was unthinkable. 
the rules and the precedes of 1646 held to this, that the main end of a student's life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. During the 19th century, there is a shift. Harvard was undergoing a liberalization of its religious ideas under the influence of Unitarians. So what exactly does that mean? Well, they gained control over the educational direction of Harvard. They institutionalized a greater emphasis on reason, morality, humanism, and intellectual freedom. They considered this religious approach a more, a more broad-based and hospitable approach to allowing people in, labeling it as open-mindedness and philosophical investigation. In reality, we can see today that it is arrogance and rebellion at its best. As this has influenced our country in the direction in which we are now, we can see where it's taken us. Second shift, the removal of school prayer, which took place on June 25, 1962. The United States Supreme Court declared school-sponsored prayers to be unconstitutional. There's a Christian historian that I love to follow and watch on YouTube. His name is David Barton. He called this specific event the national removal of morality. As we see today, there's a lot of really complicated and sad things that happen within our educational system all over our country. We can blame this. People ask in the midst of tragedy, what's, what's happening? Where is God? He's exactly where we put him, out of the schools. Point number three, the continued distortion of the constitutional interpretation of the phrase separation of church and state. And it is a distortion because this was planted and rooted, right, according again to David Barton. Thomas Jefferson stated this, and he wrote this with the intention of Government should not be able to stop church meetings. But instead today, people are, are distorting and misinterpreting it to say church can't be involved in public events. Three major shifts that bring us to where we're at now. I look around as I watch the news, I see the riots and the crime and everything that is happening and I cannot stop thinking about how important it is for me as a husband and as a father to spend time with my wife, my kids, to have dinner with them, to pray with them every day, every moment, every opportunity that I get, and be a witness for Jesus Christ in my home, and even carry that over, not just into the ministry, but into everything that I do. That's what we are called to do as the body of Christ. Nothing has changed. Everything is the same. We are under the Lord. So therefore, we must act as if we are under the Lord. So if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 7. So what is the biblical solution to this? Well, it's a biblical response from the body of Christ. 
We're going to start off tonight in the book of Isaiah, first focusing on ourselves, the individual, and then transitioning over into the body, the corporate body of Christ. What is the response going into this time in which we're headed? And like I said, it's, it's biblical. But here's the thing, is that we have to take ownership of the current situation and your role as an individual within the body of Christ. So what do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. I caught myself recently, if you guys listened to my last sermon that I preached last weekend, I was very transparent. I was very open and in and, and hopes that people would really relate with me and think alongside with me. But I catch myself a lot just being under fear, acting as if I don't know what the Word of God says. The Word of God is very, very clear as to what is our response. But, you know, just like any human being, I caught myself being clouded and, and, and overwhelmed and just feeling and, and you know, st- overly stressed and full of anxiety, thinking to myself, man, why am I in such a blur? What is it that I need to do? Well, the Lord spoke to me. He said, well, Eric, I'm, I'm right here. You need to lean on me. You're part of the body. You need to move forward. You need to step out and, and really be a witness for me. Lean on my word. Ask for my spirit. I'm going to give it to you. If you're lacking wisdom, I will give that to you as well. The scripture is very clear. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He will receive it. But we take ownership, not by negating, but by simply accepting the fact that this is where we are at. And it's a great time to be alive. We're watching everything unfold in front of our eyes. But ultimately, as I mentioned last weekend, we know who wins the war. Satan might win a battle here and there, but we know who wins the war. And guess what? We are on the team of the creator who wins the war, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? So we take ownership by accepting the current situation, but more importantly, we accept the role that we have within the situation. So how do we do that? Well, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 7, let me read that for us. It says, The Lord has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out my beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Pastor Dan already gave you kind of like a sneak peek to that. The first time I read this passage early in my walk, I came to the realization, I was like, well, wait a minute, there's a capital me here. I thought Isaiah wrote this. Why is it speaking as if it's Jesus? Well, it is Jesus. We call this... Uh, in our time today, in our grammatical world, a soliloquy, right? It's a representation of Christ through the prophet Isaiah. It's the Spirit of God coming upon Isaiah and putting himself in that place, speaking as if he is Christ. 
That's exactly what is going on here, right? That is in context why, why it's a capital me and a capital I as you go down through the passage. Is, it is as if the Lord Jesus is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. So we have to put that in context. So what am I saying when I say this? Well, we have to become one with Christ. The same way that Isaiah here became one with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to jump in into the will of the Lord. Right? The text here in this passage gives us a striking view of the purpose of the Messiah, his mission, his purpose, and his intention. But not just that, also his training, the preparation of the Lord. As I mentioned already, it is a soliloquy of Christ the servant and Jehovah the Father coming together in expression and an explanation as to what we are called to do. The Lord knew that we would be reading Isaiah in our time today. He knew that we needed an example so that we can come together and put together the foreshadowing of Christ's ministry, which he's given us the same way that he gave to Isaiah. So what can we apply from this? Well, here Isaiah writes, in the Lord's perspective, that there is application for us to follow as believers in the body of Christ. So what is the first thing that we can gain from this? Well, we have to seek God to gain the tongue of a disciple. So what is a disciple? What does the disciple mean? What is discipleship? Let me explain that just for a moment. It means a student. It means a follower. It means learned. Somebody that is well-trained, a scholar, not in academia, but in the Lord. Somebody that understands the master and his will. Somebody that is under the will of God and understands not just the beginning, but everything in between and the end and is fully capable of under the Holy Spirit coming into that power and abiding with God, reciting with him until that time comes, either when he takes us home or he comes back. That is what a disciple is. It is a student. We need to ask the Lord for the tongue of a disciple. What is the second thing that we can gain from this? Well, we have to be woken up. We have to wake up. And part of waking up is asking the Lord to open our eyes. Father, give us wisdom. Help us understand. Help us to discern, right, what is truth and what is false. We live in a time where we don't understand. Well, let me tell you one thing from the pulpit or the music stand, right, I should say. The word of God is truth. Therefore, we should lean on that 100% in our everyday living. See God to awaken us. So what does it mean to awake? Well, we have to rouse oneself in the Lord. We have to be exalted. We have to be stirred up. As we deal with the flesh daily, that, that's a constant battle. We have to wake up and ask the Lord to help us. Man, Father, I'm not feeling your spirit today. Let me die to myself and ask you to come in. Give me this wisdom, this desire, so that I can minister to your people in the way and the manner that you want me to minister. Help me to listen to you and to follow you. Give me the power, the ability to do so. Take note, we need the Lord in all of this. 
Third thing that we can gain from this, well, we have to trust him with open ears, right? We have to be able to listen freely without us getting in the way. And so what does it mean to be open? Well, it means that we have to allow. We have to remove ourselves and ask him the ability and the opportunity to allow him to speak into our lives because we get in the way of that constantly. He freely opens and loosens our ears so that we can hear whatever it is that he wants us to say or do or act on in that day. Fourth thing is we turn our back to the things which dishonor him. The things that dishonor him and his will. Those are the things that we, as we get closer to the coming of our our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to understand that that is how people will tell the difference between people in the world and us, the body of Christ. Asking the Lord for the power and the ability to do that. We turn back from those things and trust me, the Lord will meet you there. He wants to be honored. He wants to be glorified. The fifth thing is that we have to be prepared to make our face like flint. So what exactly does that mean? Well, making your face like a rock, right, is what the actual uh, Hebrew means in, in that it's making yourself strong in the Lord, understanding Jesus went to the cross knowing that he was going to bear the sins of all of us in this room and the sins of the whole world. Think along with me here. Do you think he had to make himself strong to do that? Absolutely. I know that for us as the body, as we transition into wherever we're going, that's something that we have to constantly ask God, Father, help us to be strong as rocks so that we can fulfill your will and keep our focus on you. And it is through that that we're able to work through the challenges that are to come. So we have to be the reflection of Jesus. We have to be the body of Christ. We have to be in union with the Holy Spirit in order for us to be able to fulfill whatever it is that our role he has instilled for us, whether it's individually or together as the body. We need to lean on God. So take that reminder with you. The same way here that Isaiah jumps into the spirit of the Lord, proclaims, right, the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, we also must do the same. Okay, so major point number two, taking ownership of the current situation and our role as the corporate body of Christ. Okay, so what exactly does this mean? Well, we're a functioning body. The scripture is very clear that the body is composed of many, many parts, right? We know that all of us have a role. And so when individually you seek the Lord, you come to find out that you are very important to the body of Christ. And that is exactly here the challenge that the Lord gives to um, King Solomon and to the people of Solomon. So let's go ahead and, and read Second Chronicles chapter 7 um, together. Let me flip there for us here. And I'm going to start in verse 11 and read all the way down through, uh, I think it's verse 16. So Second Chronicles 7, 11 through 16. So God's promise and warning. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord 
and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and his palace. Verse 12, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at the night and said to him, I have, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, verse 14, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. So what can we gain from this? Well, let's put this into perspective here because context is very important. The Lord is speaking to his people. What is a response as the body of Christ? Well, we have to respond as the body of Christ. We cannot put our responsibility of praying and expecting the shift to come from the people in the outside world. Understanding that we have to lead by example. Yes, the Lord will bring people along the way the same way that he, he did in the book of Acts. Right? We don't want to limit the Lord. But ultimately what I'm saying is that we need to take responsibility as the body of Christ. So God gives a promise and a warning. We see in verse 11 that Solomon had just finished building the palace and the house of the Lord. And soon after that, he fulfilled God's will. The Lord appears to Solomon and he reassures him of his prayers being heard and his election, not just as a people, but also as a place for himself. We see that in verse 12. And then in verse 13, we can see that the Lord warns of his choice to bring chaos and destruction to his people. It's an incredible thing to think about. You come to know Jesus, right? It's like becoming a new believer and you're in a constant battle with the flesh. I know that happened to me early on in my walk, right? You're walking with God and you're like, oh, finally I see the light. God is showing me that, you know, I had some sin. And then you get closer to God, and then you come to the realization that you have more sin, and then you have some more sin, and then you're constantly growing. You're just like, man, Lord, I feel like I'm being persecuted by you. But it's, it's a refinement. It's something that God has to do to you and to me in order for us to increase in him and decrease in us, right? The same way as, as a corporate body, the Lord does that to people. He says, hey... I picked you, you're my people, but let me warn you, there's going to be some trials. I might allow some things to happen. I'm going to send some stuff down your way. But the question that we have to ask is, how are we going to respond? So we see here that the Lord does warn and he brings the chaos and destruction to his people. But then the Lord addresses the response that he expects from the people. The same way that the Lord gives a chaos and allows for things to happen in our lives, take note, if we truly belong to him, he also gives us warnings and instructions. Jesus constantly repeated himself to his followers, to his apostles. He said, 
There's going to be trouble, but don't be afraid. Look for this and look for that. I'm going to caution you. And guess, guess what? When you are in front of people, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because even then, I will give you the words to say to these people. So what am I saying? Well, the Lord gives a warning, but he also gives instruction in the midst of chaos. Our job is to simply listen for that. And so what is the response that we can give to the Lord? Well, our job, as we look at the scripture in the passage, the Lord says, right? My people called by my name. Step number one, if they humble themselves, we have to humble ourselves I mentioned last week, you know, in my opportunity to to preach and and teach. That's something that is, I think, happening a lot today. I know I find myself a lot looking at things, reading things, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, I am so glad that you are in control. Because I'm learning, the older I get, I'm seeing, right, as a young father, as a husband, I'm thinking to myself, I have no control over anything, really. Really? There's plenty of opportunity for us to humble ourselves. But don't just be humble in the situations. You have to also understand that you need to respond. So how can we respond? Well, the Lord says, if my people who humble themselves would pray. Step number two, after we're humbled, guess what? We give it back to God. Man, Lord, we can do nothing about this, but you can. Father, you're in control. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to desperately chase after you and follow your word. Step number three, if God's people are called by his name and they seek his face, right? We have to seek his face. And it's not periodically, it's not just when we feel bad, it's it's all the time. We have to seek the Lord. Step number four, that the Lord gives here, if my people called by my name, would turn from their wicked ways. Repentance. We have to repent as the body of Christ. Whatever it is, whatever it looks like, it, it's, it's really a refining of the body. It's the preparation of the bride. Right? And, and we know that depending on which theologian or, or which commentary you read, uh, I think they all align. And people know that this is the refining. The church, all of us, are being pulled and drawn closer to God because we need Him. We're understanding that we have no control. And what is the result of these steps? Well, we see here the result of the application. The Lord says, if you do these things, this will be my response to you. I will hear my people from heaven. The Lord will hear us. He is still sovereign. The scripture says that He is still seated. In his throne. That hasn't changed. The only thing that, that has changed is here. Us, we change. We drift, we, we go away from the Lord, but we have to keep coming back to him and taking these steps. He hears his people from heaven. Not only does he hear his people, but he also forgives their sin. The Lord forgives us. It's an incredible thing that we still have the Holy Spirit. If we repent, God is still working. He has left us the helper. Think about that for a moment with me. I think about the, you know, the, the transitional time, the dead period, right, where God didn't speak for 400 years. Man, that must have been devastating to not have the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God. The question that I want to ask you is, are you using it? 
Are you taking advantage of that? We are still in the grace of God. Today is the day of salvation, is what the scripture says. We still have availability that we can share with people. He forgives us of our sin, but then he also heals the people. He heals me and he heals you. And because he heals all of us, then we're able to be used by Jesus so that we can heal other people. That's what counseling is. That's what discipleship is. Are you taking advantage of the fact that God has healed you and are you using that to heal other people? Is the question that we have to ask ourselves. And so here in the Hebrew, the word land means earth. Land, it means countries. Right? It's the masses of people, groups of people. Anybody that repents and comes to know Jesus, those are the people that will be healed. So, directed towards us, the body first, right? And the Lord, as we know, He died for the whole world, can extend that through everybody. But is God using you in all this time? Has God given you a conviction? Well, I know He's given me one to be more intentional and to stop thinking about myself and worrying and thinking about what's going to happen next. It's a constant battle in going back to the Lord. Okay, so the final point as we conclude our time together, so what does this look like daily, right? I'm a, I'm a very practical person. I like to put things into, into motion. I'm very simple-minded, very structured, right? So I'm going to leave us with some scriptures that I think can help us understand what this looks like daily for us as the body, right? Understanding that we have had many shifts to bring us to the point in which we're at through our history and the history of our country. So what is the response of the body of Christ? What should we do now? We are here. We're watching everything unfold. The response should be this. Daily, right? Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Right? Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We have to understand in our daily lives that if we're going to learn anything, if God is going to give us anything that we can really comprehend and apply, it first must come through Him. The moment that we think to ourselves, oh, I got it figured out. I got this. I'm good. Be careful because the scripture says, right, that pride comes before a fall. We have to walk in humility, understanding that the creator of all knows all and we are under the creator. And if we want to learn anything at all, we have to come through him. Acknowledging not only his sovereignty, but his omnipresence, knowing that God is above all things. He is the creator, but he's also the savior. We have to understand that. And we have to know that he allows you and he allows me to learn about his creation. And the moment that we take our focus off of that, then we're in trouble. Next step is we have to understand that prosperity comes from the Lord and it comes from abiding in the Lord. It's not just calling upon the name of the Lord, but it's abiding in him, asking him to come into our everyday living Right? Knowing that apart from Him, we can do nothing. As John 15, 5 says, 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are the words of Jesus in in John 15. He says, without him we can do nothing. But take note, he doesn't just say call on me. He says abide in me. It's a continuous relationship with him. Right? Understanding that he is the vine. He is the one that provides the source. He is the one that provides the nutrients, both physical and spiritual. Fully leaning on him, we come to the understanding that apart from him, we can do nothing. In the same way, in John 3:27, the scripture says this, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. So we cannot receive anything unless it is given to us from the Lord. Is basically what that means. Are you asking the Lord for everything that you have? Are you filtering everything that you have through the Lord? As the body of Christ, that's what we're called to do. Understanding that we, apart from Him, have nothing. It's easy. We live in a time where we can just take matters into our own hands. Right? I mean, it's convenient. We look in the fridge. There's food there. Very easy to forget to pray. You know, like, oh, apple. You hardly ever think about where you got that apple or where it came from, who had to work for it. You know, the simple fact that we have food. There's many people around the world who don't have that. When you think it's simplistic, in a simplistic way, you come to the realization that, man, God is taking care of us. We are blessed. Right? Beyond understanding, God is good. We have to acknowledge that we have all His goodness because of Him. He's given that to us. And the last thing, we'll look at Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. This is the, the final application, is we must allow the Lord in His Word. Okay, so take note here. The Word of God has to be in our everyday life. Right? We, we have to not only read the Word, but we have to apply the Word daily. It's, it's something that I know is traditional. People would say in the, in the secular world, Oh, you're so old-fashioned. You believe in, in, in marriage of one man and, and one woman. Like, wow. You're so narrow-minded, right? That's, that's where we're headed. Th- those are the types of discussions that I'm having with these young men from my group who work in the secular group, right? They're getting pointed at and, and mocked and laughed at. And wow, this is not our thinking. I'm sorry, this is the Lord. This is who God is. This is his word. We have to abide by those things, right? Understanding that God has called us to do that. And it's not just when we want, it's in our everyday living, right? So Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says this, says, These words which I commanded you today shall be on your heart. So take note, they have to first be within us. You shall teach to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So basically, what is that saying? Well, all the time. The Word of God should be present in our lives all the time. There's no escaping the Lord. Understanding that God is sovereign, that's what that means. He is omnipresent. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So not only should we read the Word and let it sit in our hearts, but we should 
also abide by it every day through our everyday living. And then we should also go as far as posting it visually where we can see it, where we can remember it. Why? Well, because we have a flesh. Our fleshly nature naturally, right, instinctively goes to lean on ourselves to do everything without God. So we have to trick ourselves, for lack of a better word, right? I know I have to trick myself. I have to put scripture everywhere because then I forget, oh, yeah, that's what the word of God says. Right? I'm sorry to let you down. I mean, as a, as a leader in, in the church, I'm still human, right? But being aware of those things and, and acting on it is part of the battle, knowing that we have to trust the Lord and also through the application of his word. So, so what does that look like? Well, I made some brief comments earlier in simple ways that we can apply this daily. Well, call us traditional, but we have to bring dinner back as a family. That's one thing that I'm big on. In my house, we have at least two or three nights where we sit as a family, and I go around the table and I ask my kids, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And no, I don't skip my wife. I also ask her, hey, dear, how can I pray for you? Right? It's feeling the presence of God and randomly, as the leader of my family, saying, you know what, I think we should pray tonight. Dad, really? Yeah, yeah, we should. I think God would be honored by that. Let's do it. Okay. Not once have I gotten a negative response from that. Man, Eric, Dad, thanks for doing that. That was awesome. Praise the Lord. That's what God wants us to do. We have to set the example, right? So bringing dinner back to the table is where it starts. If we want to change the world, that's where it begins. Right? I think to myself often as I'm watching these things on TV and the riots and all these things, I'm like, man, these people probably just in the same way that I didn't have a stable home. That's, the difference is that I know the Lord, praise God, and you know the Lord. And so therefore we should respond in such a way. Read the Bible together. Um, hey, guys, you know what? We're having dinner. Man, in my quiet time, the Lord spoke to me. And it made me think of everything that we're going through right now. Can I read it to you? Yeah, Dad, absolutely. Real quick. Wow, what do you guys think? Before you know it, an hour has gone by. Biblical discussion. Awesome. Not all the time. Right? We have to live life. There's a lot of things that we do, but we have to be intentional. Praying together with your loved ones. That is one positive thing that has come from everything that we're walking through right now. It has forced me the same way that it's forced you to reach out to people who we normally don't talk to. Hey, you know what? Can I uh, at least pray with you? Eric, thanks for calling. Absolutely. Let's pray together. Listening to the word. Uh, I know I bore my my family. I'm constantly listening to sermons, you know, around the house because I'm I'm just trying to feed my mind with positive things, allowing the word of God to speak to me. So listening to the word, allowing God, either through worship music or or in another form, just to penetrate your mind. We have to we have to do that. Right. And, And I know that it's it's easier to just be paralyzed in a time like this. It's convenient to just sit back and think about everything that's going on and try to figure it out. Well, it's not our job to figure it out. If God wanted us, then he would have told us to do that. Our job is to rely on him. So listening to the word, live out the word of God, as I mentioned already in Deuteronomy. And then, of course, we have to disciple those around us. 
find ways to implement the word of God, right? No matter what age or season of life they are in, if we know people, you have the opportunity and the ability to impact people that I don't. And that's how the body of Christ works and grows, is by people reaching people whom, whom they are close to, right? And then, of course, the last three things is we have to trust the Lord. Instead of worrying, you should be praying. The moment that you start worrying, give it to God. Take every thought captive and give it to the Lord. Seek the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Ask the Lord what is happening. Ask the Lord what your role is. Ask him what, you, what he wants you to do right now. And then through the humility, of course, we have to obey the Lord. So in conclusion, the body of Christ is not determined by the circumstance or the outcome. The body of Christ, we, me and you, should be really separated by the word of God. We should be led by the Lord, his spirit, and our reliance on him fully. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your truth. And as we continue to, to live in, in this time of uncertainty, Lord, we know that your truth is going to, to prevail. Father, as there's a constant battle uh, within us, within the body, and just our time, there's so many distractions, Father. That's exactly what Satan wants. He wants for us to remain paralyzed and to not respond in a biblical way. I pray that tonight, Father, as we continue to walk and rely on you, that you would help us, Lord, to be reliant on your spirit and to be reliant on your word. Father, it is not hard. You give us the instructions. The hard part is the flesh. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to die to our worries, Father. And if there are ministries in which we've neglected, Lord, in our lives, I pray that you would bring those back to us. Father, so that we can continue to minister effectively, Lord. Help us to be intentional. Help us to be direct with your word. Help us to live in this time with purpose and with direction, not according to the, word, to the world, but according to your word. Father, we love you and we praise you and we entrust our body to you. In Jesus' name, amen.